Good morning. Good morning. It's yeah, a sweet way to start. Um, welcome here. Uh, I am excited to go through um, or carry on the series that Alvin started last week in the book of First Peter. Um, he did the first two verses, kind of an intro sermon uh, to the whole book last week. And so I get to kind of carry it on. So if you do have a paper Bible, um, you can, you know, prep. We're going to read from First Peter um, in a couple minutes. But first, um, I'm going to start with uh, a little story. And I, I need to say this now because <clears throat> after first service, I had all of the hardcore hockey fans coming up to me telling me how I bored them with basketball stories. Um, <laughs> I'm, I, would, I would say I'm sorry, but I'm really not, because I love basketball. And so, I, yeah, if you're a hockey fan, just do your best to stay awake through the, the, this, this part. So, um, there's a day that stands out really strongly in my mind, um, super, super memorable day, and it is May 12th, 2019. And I already gave you a hint with the whole basketball thing. I don't know if any of you know what that day is, but I will preface it by saying this. I grew up as um, a, a hardcore Raptors fan. I, um, I loved the Raptors. And you know, every child, every adult too, um, we can admit this, we have this, you know, this hope, this strong dream to see our team win a championship. Um, and I grew up as a Raptors fan, and because, you know, the Raptors are in Canada, and that is not an attractive place for free agents to come in, in basketball, I knew that we are never going to win a championship because we just won't ever get anybody like the, uh, like the kind of player we would need. Um, except for the fact, by forcing people to come to Canada, um, which is what happened... Um, before this season started, uh, it was kind of a, a mixed emotions day for me because the Raptors traded away DeMar DeRozan, um, who I really loved, um, but they got this guy in return for him, um, Kawhi Leonard, and Kawhi Leonard was a superstar, and now he's a, you know, everybody has mixed feelings about him in the NBA, but um, May 12th, 2019 is a super memorable day for me as a Raptors fan um, because of this. Now, some of you, I don't know if this is in the way, but some of you um, might not recognize this picture or know what this is referencing. If you don't, um, this is the NBA playoffs, 2019 playoffs, and Toronto was in a seven-game series with the Philadelphia 76ers. And like I said, it went all the way to seven games. And game sevens are so epic in sports anyways, just because they're game seven, everything is on the line. But this was like one of the most epic game sevens ever because with four seconds left in the game, it was tied 90 to 90. And the Raptors had the ball. We got, after the timeout, we got it on their half of the court and we had 4.2 seconds to do something miraculous. And I remember this day because we had um, a whole bunch of youth over at our house for a campfire. You were there? Yeah. Um, and we were, after the campfire, we were in my basement watching this game. And this moment 
This is like this hope that boils up in you, like from a, from a kid, you want to see your team win. You're like, this is it. This wasn't the championship, but if, if, if we don't make, if we don't take advantage of this moment, I don't think we're going to win in overtime. Um, it, it's all on the line right here. And that hope is just like boiling up in you. Like, can we do this? Please let this happen. Um, and this play is just etched forever in a lot of people's minds. Um, you know, the ball inbounds to Kawhi above the free throw line and he drives baseline super fast. As he's falling away, throws up this high arcing shot and Kawhi doesn't have a lot of arc in his shot normally, which seemed problematic. And you're like, oh, this is not a normal shot. It's going high, right? The ball hits this side of the rim right here, bounces straight up in the air, comes back down on that side, bounces across to the other side of the rim, bounces straight up in the air, comes down on this side of the rim, and falls into the basket. <laughs> and the Raptors won the game by two. The ball had left Kawhi's hand with less than a second remaining. And the, maybe, I don't know, a second and a half or two seconds that the ball was actually on the rim felt like 20 minutes. It was crazy. And when the ball finally went in, my house just like erupted, right? I'm pretty sure I like ran, in, I like ran up the wall and jumped off and was screaming. And Ollie was really young and we, Kaylee had just put him to bed and we like screamed so loud, we woke him up and Kaylee was upset, but I was like, I don't even care. Like this is, this is amazing, right? Um, this is another really cool shot of it where they watched all this anticipation as the, as the ball slowly bounced around and then went in the basket. Um, and then this was, this was kind of the stepping stone. After this, it seemed like we had a lot of confidence, even though we went down 2-0 against the Bucks, won four in a row, took that series and then ended up winning the championship in the final against the Warriors. Um, and all of my childhood hopes and dreams came true. It's wonderful. Um, and it'll never happen again. Because um, I'm a realist. Unless we trick somebody to come again. Um, but hope is a really amazing, powerful thing. And when you get to see your hope come to fruition, it's this amazing euphoric experience um, and, and this stadium and the whole, uh, all of Canada kind of erupted at the moment, well, except for you hockey fans, but um, this is a huge moment, um, one, of the, one of the greatest moments in playoff history, um, so epic. Hope is a really cool thing, hope is a really powerful thing and Peter is going to talk to us about hope in this passage that we're going to read. So I'm going to start at verse 3. Um, and if you have your Bibles, follow along. If not, I've got it right here as well. So 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 3 says this. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. This inheritance is kept in heaven for you, who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. In all this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. These have come so that the proven genuineness of your faith of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ 
is revealed. Um, Peter grew up as a Jewish boy and would have spent a lot of time in the synagogue and that would have probably been where he learned to pray. And as a Jewish boy, he would have learned to pray a prayer called the Shemona Esrei. And this is a prayer, um, I mean that word literally means 18 and it's, it's called the 18 blessings. And this prayer is um, literally blessings of God um, that Jewish people pray this prayer three times a day, still today. And on Sabbath, um, they pray it four times a day. And this started about 500 years before Jesus' time. Um, and this prayer, the first prayer of that Jewish prayer is very, very similar to what Peter prays in verse three. Only Peter, he, though he's clearly influenced by it, talks about Jesus as Lord. It talks about God our Father and God our Lord, and it talks about God who will send a redeemer. But in here, Peter puts it into the context of those who know that Jesus has risen from the dead, and that is that Jesus is our Lord, um, and that he has risen, and he is the redeemer, the savior of everything. And it's a really, really cool, as, as you think about Jewish people reading this prayer, or this, this uh, way that Peter starts his, his letter, bringing them right back to this prayer that's been essential to their lives, um, their whole lives, um, but in the context of Christ. But he goes on and he, he talks about hope at this start. He talks about a living hope. And what I want to do for a second is talk about the definition of the word hope because oftentimes when the Bible uses a word, we, we immediately connect it with the way that we would use that word in our, our culture. And oftentimes it ends up being quite different. So um, the definition of hope is to cherish a desire with anticipation or to really want something to happen, to hope, right? And if you actually uh, even dive in deeper, like if you go on Merriam-Webster, they'll, they'll compare synonyms for you and things like hope, expect, look to, um, things like that. And they talk about hope being one that implies little certainty. A hope in something is not confidence. A hope is just something that implies actually very little certainty in the thing that you want to happen. So, sorry to bore you again, but I'm gonna, I'm gonna bring it back to basketball for a second here. Um, it's NBA playoffs right now, um, which is awesome. Um, don't ask me how the Raptors are doing, because um, they're not there. But um, often commentators will talk about playoff hopes in regards to um, teams in each series, right? And you go into the start of a series, and for the most part, it's 50-50, you know, your playoff hopes, right? Um, and I love statistics, so this is going to dive into that a little bit. Um, but in, in the NBA, this is for basketball, not, not other sports because it's different. Um, but in the NBA, based on what's happened in the past, they say that if your team that you're cheering for loses game one, they now only have a 25% chance of coming back and winning the series if they're down one nothing. Um, that's, that, that's, a, that's a big drop. But 25%, one in four, that's, a, that's still a decent chance. You still have solid playoff hopes for your team, right? If your team goes down two nothing, the percentage of you winning drops down to 8%. Um, if your team goes down two and oh, it's gonna be really, really hard for them to come back. But it's been done quite a bit. Um, the Raptors did it against the Bucks. Um, it's been done a lot. And so there is still hope for your team. If your team is losing 
um, you have a 5% chance of coming back from that. It's only happened 13 times in NBA history where a team has won the series after being down three to one. It's not very likely, but it has been done, and you still have some hope for your team, right? However, if you are down three nothing in a best of seven series, first to four wins, they say you have no hope. Zero chance of coming back. In NBA history, it's never been done. No team has ever come back and won after being down three nothing. Actually, in all of NBA history, only three times has a team that's been down three nothing ever even made it to a game seven. Um, and obviously they lost because it's never been done. Um, but hope is a powerful thing, right? Um, when players have hope, their ability to function and perform at a high level actually increases when they have hope and they believe. Um, but when players have no hope, their ability to function and perform decreases significantly. If you've ever watched a team that's down three nothing, it's usually terrible basketball. Um, maybe they might try for one game to just not get swept, to be embarrassed. Um, but it's usually they, they're just playing with like no passion and it's not super fun to watch. Hope is a powerful thing. Peter reminds his readers here of the hope that they have in Jesus. Um, and here, this is why I did this, because this hope is not the kind of hope that we would have in our sports team. This is not the kind of hope that we would have um, for just something we want to happen in our lives. This is not a hope against hope or a fond hope against all odds. I hope this happens. He calls it a living hope. And he calls it that, and he references here the resurrection of Jesus. It's a living hope because of the resurrection of Jesus. Now stop for a second and think about the things that Jesus claimed in his lifetime on earth, right? Um, one of my favorite books is John. So, so if we look at the, at the gospel of John, some of the things that Jesus claimed to be, he claimed to be the bread of life. He claimed to be the light of the world. He claimed to be the resurrection and the life. He claimed to be the only way to the Father. He claimed to be the true vine, the only source of life. Um, these are some huge claims, and you can imagine as people heard him, um, they wrestled with these things. Is this true? Is this guy the real deal? Is he really who he says he is? Or is he just kind of crazy? Because those are huge statements, right? And there are stories where Jesus is preaching and people just walk away because the stuff he's saying is too hard for them. And people wrestled with whether or not what Jesus said was true. But then something happened. He died. And probably a lot of those things they maybe wrestled with all of a sudden got clear. Okay, so he was, seemed like he was a liar. Because how can he be the source of life if he's dead? It doesn't work. When Jesus died, hope died with Jesus in all of the things and promises that he said and claims that he made until the resurrection. Because the resurrection changed everything. Um, imagine Jesus' life, you know, if he had just somehow avoided death, right? So we have guys in the Old Testament like Enoch and Elijah who never actually died. God took them up to heaven and they, they got to escape death. Jesus, what if he had done something like that? He could have. But he didn't. 
He didn't just avoid death. He faced it head on. And he defeated it. He rose. And actually, in doing that, he proved that the God who made all of those promises in the Old Testament and the God who said all of those things through Jesus was actually who he said he was. He actually had the power to keep those things. Jesus really was who he said he was. And he proved it by rising from the dead. See, we have a living hope because Jesus is our hope and he's alive. But this is, this is also cool. It's not just the living hope because he's alive, but also because he reigns. Later in this book, Peter talks about this at the end of chapter three. He says, it saves you by the resurrection of Jesus Christ who has gone into heaven and is at God's right hand with angels, authorities, and powers in submission to him. Jesus wasn't just raised up out of the grave. He was raised up to the throne of heaven and he reigns with power and authority. Followers of Jesus don't have a fond hope or a hope against hope. Um, we have a sure living hope because our Lord Jesus is not dead. He's alive and he's reigning. But Peter adds something to this. And I don't know if you noticed it, but we have a living hope not only because Jesus lives, but also because we live. Peter says that God's given us new birth. We've been born again is, how, is what Jesus said to Nicodemus in John 3. Um, this is not God simply saying, here's something good for your life. This is God saying, actually, you need a new life. You need to be born again. For those who believe the resurrection's not only about Jesus rising to life, but also about his people rising to life with him. Paul talks about this, you know, in Galatians, the famous verse, he talks about being crucified with Christ, dying to ourself. And then in Colossians, he talks about being raised with Jesus. Colossians 3.1, he says, that since then you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Think about Peter himself, the guy who wrote this book. He was all in for Jesus, right? He was passionate, motivated, gifted. But his last interaction with Jesus was one of failure and heartbreak, right? He denied that he even knew Jesus to a stranger. Um, this is his last interaction and Jesus died and Peter is left with no hope and probably keenly aware of his failure. But when Jesus rises back to life, um, this changes everything for Peter. Because not only is Jesus alive, but if you read John 21, this last chapter in John where Jesus has this amazing interaction with Peter, where he not only clearly forgives Peter, but he actually like reinstates Peter and says, you know what, Peter? I've got great plans for you. I want to use you to do amazing things. And this is great mercy, right? And this is what Peter says in, in verse three there, that he's experienced this great mercy. Um, that he's been given a new life and an undeserved one. 
The resurrection changed everything for Peter. His life completely changed. And that's actually just, that's what Jesus said at the beginning of their um, relationship, right? When Jesus met him, he said, hey, you're a fisherman, but I'm going to teach you how to fish for people. And Peter goes on uh, in verse 4, and he says, he says this. This new birth has also into an inheritance, one that can never perish, spoil, or fade. This inheritance is kept in heaven for you. Followers of Jesus have been given an inheritance that can never be taken away. Now, this verse is cool. This word inheritance is one that in the New Testament is often used to describe like a believer's share in God's kingdom. Um, but in the Old Testament, the word inheritance is often, especially in the law, connected to the land of Canaan, right? As the Israelites are wandering in the desert, they were promised this land. They were promised this home that God said, this is going to be your own. This is going to be your home. And as Israel wandered, they were reminded of this promise. And that's what kept them moving forward, that God has this promised land for us, this home. Those who are in Christ are promised a similar inheritance, not of physical land, but of a place in the kingdom of God, right? Our hope is more than just salvation from sin. It is that. It's also the promise of home. Because like the Israelites wandering in the desert, um, we, we wander as strangers, the Bible says, in this world. We are not citizens of here, but of heaven. Um, and the resurrection has secured for us an inheritance in the kingdom of God, and it cannot be taken away. Now, um, Peter uses three words to describe this inheritance. In the NIV, it says perish, spoil, or fade. And so they, they, um, they flip it from the negative. But those words literally are imperishable, undefiled, and unfading. And some of your verses will probably use those words, or your translations. Um, and I want to talk about them really quickly because those are significant words. Um, the first one, imperishable. Peter would have been present when Jesus preached the Sermon on the Mount and he challenged people not to store up for themselves treasure on earth where moth and rust can break things down and destroy. But he said, store up for yourself treasure in heaven. It can't be touched by the decaying of this world. It can't be touched um, by moth and rust. Um, this imperishable, lasting inheritance right? Imperishable. The second one he uses is undefiled. I love this one um, because in the Old, Old Testament, this word was used to describe somebody who was made ceremonially unclean by sin in their life. And, and so Peter here is saying, this inheritance that's coming for you, not only will it never fade or perish, it's also untouched by sin. There's no sin and brokenness in this home. And then the last one, unfading. is untouched by time or decay. It cannot lose its beauty. There is no death. Peter's calling us to imagine this inheritance, this home, that it can't be broken down. It, it's untouched by sin and brokenness. And, and it won't lose its beauty and there is no death there. It's an amazing promise of the hope that we have. But he goes on in verse 5, and he talks about 
um, how God shields us. He says, you who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. Just as God is keeping our inheritance for us, he is keeping us for our inheritance. And he's guarding us, he's shielding us. It's his power. And what does he, what does he ask of us? He says that we would have faith. We are guarded by our faith. Faith in this hope that is ours in Jesus. When I was reading this passage, this verse confused me because I felt like it didn't fit. He starts off talking about this living hope and this inheritance, this picture of what is ours in Jesus, this, this beautiful thing that there is no brokenness in. And then in the last two verses, we'll see he talks about grief and suffering, the reality of the world, the broken world that we live in now. And there's this, this big contrast here. And then in the middle, there's this little verse about how God shields us by our faith. And, and it confused me. What does this have to do with the other two? But I realized something as I was reading through this. And here's what I noticed from this passage. It was God's mercy that caused him to save us. It was God's power that raised Jesus to life. It is God who gives us a living hope. It is God who secures our inheritance for us. It is God who shields us by his power. It's all God. It's his plan, his mercy, his power, his hope that we are born into. And what does he call us to out of all of that? It's simply faith. And I think that is actually so significant because if you stop and think about faith, faith is not about what we do. It's not about what we can do. Faith is about trusting in what God has already done. Faith is not about my ability. It is about saying this is who God is. This is what he's done and this is what he will do. And all I'm called to is to trust in that, to walk in that. It's all about him and his strength and what he calls us to is faith. And then that brings us to the last two verses, which I think stand, like I mentioned, in huge contrast to the first ones, right? Those ones are about this heavenly promise, this inheritance for us, and then the last two are about um, our existence in this broken world where we will receive um, tribulation and trials and see suffering and grief. Um, and he talks about how our hope is so great that we can even experience joy in moments like that, in moments of grief and suffering. And I'm not gonna talk a lot about joy because actually that's what Alvin's gonna talk about next week. So um, I'm excited for him to dive into that. Um, but I'm just, I wanna say two really quick things about these last couple verses. The first one is this. Our hope in Christ is so guaranteed, it's so sure that we can even have joy when the world around us seems to give us no reason for it. And that is all because of Jesus and the hope we have in him. We can even have joy when the world gives us very little reason for it. And the second thing is this, 
the trials and the suffering and the grief we experience, they don't push us away from God's kingdom. They actually grow us. They grow our faith um, and they prove our faith, it says, to be genuine. We experience testing um, and he compares our faith to gold, right? And I love this illustration um, because gold has impurities and to get rid of them, they need to be burned with heat, fire, and you can burn the impurities out of gold. And he says our faith is really similar when we experience trial and hardship. That is like the fire that grows us, that makes our faith strong and proves it to be genuine. This is actually, for me, one of the things that I love most about um, following Jesus and the Christian faith is that God is a redeemer. He can take something broken and he can make something beautiful. Right? We look at the life of Joseph. Right? It's just like thing after thing after thing. His brothers hate him. They sell him into slavery and it's just everything is just falling apart. Things finally start to look better for him in a situation and he's falsely accused of something and thrown in prison. And he has these guys that he thinks maybe could talk on his behalf and get him out of there and they forget about him for a long time. And finally when he comes out, it's so apparent that God is gonna use him to do something amazing, right? Because he not only helped save the known world at that time from famine, but he also does something amazing in the life of his family, his brothers and his father, right? God is a redeemer. He can take broken things and make them beautiful. I mean, that is the cross, right? The most broken, evil moment in history that God used somehow to accomplish the greatest good. We are tested and refined by fire. And another really cool thought that I, I like about the, um, the gold analogy <clears throat> is that just like gold is refined by fire, it's also shaped by it. Right? You can heat it up and mold it to change the shape of it. And I think trials and tribulations can do that with us as well. Shape us to the character of Jesus. A lot of that shaping happens through difficulty. So, um, I, I wanna end just with a little bit of honesty here. Um, not that I've been lying to you up to this point, but um, this l last year for me and, and my family has been like a whirlwind of emotions. A lot of highs and a lot of lows. Um, I was on sabbatical this last summer and we got to do a lot of rest, a lot of travel. Um, <clears throat> we got to do a lot of really fun things as a family. Um, we had amazing family time. And just before it started, um, we found out we were pregnant, which was so exciting. Um, and then at the beginning of August, we had a miscarriage. And a lot of, of, of what we were wrestling with was like all boiled up to the top and um, it was a struggle right before we were gonna leave for a big trip. And then in the midst of this, Kaylee and I were going through, I came out of sabbatical and started back at the church. And I was wrestling with whether or not I keep going in this job. Is this something I push through or is, is God calling us to something else? Um, and this was a wrestle for us. Um, 
And then in the fall, we found out that Kaylee was pregnant again. And, and we struggled with worry that, what if we lose this little baby too? Um, and we struggled and we had to work really hard to surrender that. Um, and this time, Kaylee's grandma passed away um, and she felt really far away. Um, in February, I handed in my resignation, which was really hard to do. And a couple weeks later, I had to announce it in church, which was even worse. Um, all in this time, we had an ultrasound um, with the baby, and they found something that was a little concerning, and they weren't sure um, what it meant, and it seemed like it wasn't a huge deal, um, as long as, as you know, there wasn't any bleeding or anything like that in the pregnancy. And then a few weeks ago, I got back from a retreat being gone in Banff, and I came back, and Kaylee called me in the bathroom, and she was bleeding a lot. And we rushed to the hospital with every, like, worst-case scenario in our mind. And when they finally got Kaylee hooked up to the monitor, and we heard the little, our little girl's heartbeat, it's like this wave of relief and tears of joy, right? And now here we are. We're waiting for this baby to come in the next month, and um, I'm here in my last month at the church, um, preaching my last sermon, um, and wondering what the future holds for me and my family, um, and wondering what's to come. And I share all of that to say this. Time and time again, life throws at us things that will cause us to hope and things that will take away our hope. Um, because ultimately, hope in things of this world is like that. It's fleeting. It comes and it goes. Because the way that we talk about hope is something with little certainty. But that is not the hope that we have in Jesus. There is a hope that cannot be taken away, cannot be shaken. Because Jesus rose from the dead. And he's alive. And he's reigning. And he wants to give us life. And he wants to keep us and hold us in his mighty power. And what he asks of us is to have faith. To trust him. And to know that our hope is sure in him. It's not a hope against hope. He's already risen. He's alive. And will we respond to him in faith? Let me pray. God, thank you that you are here with us. You are good. You know us and you meet us closely in our lives where we are at. And thank you that you have done it all. It's your mercy, power, strength. And you call us to faith. So God, I pray for me and for those of us here that you would help us to trust you. Help us to respond in faith to what you call us to 
and to hope, knowing that our hope is secure in you. Thank you, Jesus, for your love. We love you. Amen. Thanks so much for joining us today. We trust you have been encouraged and challenged in your faith journey. If you're desiring prayer, want more information on our church, want to partner with us or be involved in any way, please go to our website at mountoliveefc.com. We'll see you next time.